Hi, you're listening to a podcast brought to you by the teaching team at New Life in North Lincolnshire. New Life is committed to helping transform people and transform places through the love and power of Jesus Christ. We hope you, in some small way, will be blessed and transformed by this message. good to with you and we have just loved this weekend we feel like we've come and benefited more than we've given out which is pretty rare uh, we love your pastors we want to steal your team and we uh, have eaten more than I think we have in a few weeks the curry last night or yesterday afternoon, just so good. Uh, and so you've got something incredibly special here, and it's my privilege today to bring the Word of God to you. Uh, but let's just pray. I know we've already prayed, but let's just pray again. You can't ever get too much prayer, can you? Father God, we thank you that you are a God who speaks. You're not a God just of the past, but you're a God of today. And God, we pray right now, wake us up. Let us hear something fresh from you today, God. Let our spirits be in tune with you, God. We pray less of me and more of you, Holy Spirit. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So there was a thing on the news a few years ago, and um, I got tagged in a few posts about it, and several people, including my own mum, were like, that could have been you. Um, basically, there was a trip to Iceland. I'm not talking about the shop. I'm talking about the country. Uh, I don't think many people take a big trip on a coach to Iceland, the shop. But they went on a coach to Iceland, and it stopped at various points, and they got out with their cameras, and they took photos of kind of whatever there is in Iceland, ice and mountains and stuff. And there was one moment where they got off the bus, they did their photographs, they did all the stuff, and then they all got back on the bus and they noticed there was one lady missing. So they waited and they waited and she didn't come back on, so they started to get a bit nervous and they started to kind of look for this lady in the red jacket, they looked for her, and then they called search and rescue Maybe she was like Mark Ritchie, who gets lost easily. She looked for her, no, no search and rescue, couldn't find her. Helicopters came, the police came, and they're looking for four hours for this lady. And then at one moment, one of the ladies on the search party has a moment of clarity. She realizes the person they're describing is her. When she got off the bus, she had a red jacket, then got changed into a different outfit. And they had been looking for herself for four hours. That could have been me. I am prone to getting lost. Uh, when we go to different kind of speaking arrangements, I don't drive myself. And I always have these well-meaning women who are like, I'll take you, I never get lost. And then they drive me and they're like, how does this happen? It's like an anointing that I get people lost all the time. I want to talk today about something called hide and seek. Uh, and this lady was good at hiding, so good she lost herself. We were, when we were youth pastors, when we were young and trendy and before we had grown-up children, um, we had played a game called hide-and-seek. Whenever we had nothing else to do in the program, we were like, let's play hide-and-seek. And we have a big 1930s cinema for our main location, so there's many very dangerous places that you couldn't risk assess or do now, but was excellent. Now, as a parent who has young people in that ministry, I would kill them if they did that, but when we trendy youth pastors, it was fine. No one got hurt. It was all right. Hide-and-seek was a game that we played. They loved it. If we kind of got a bit rowdy, we're like, let's stop the program, let's hide and seek. And we just leave them for ages hiding and get a bit of a break and go and get a coffee. And um, the, the thing is this, the Bible talks about the first game of hide and seek. Let's go right back to Genesis. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to learn about when God played hide and seek. Let's start in Genesis 2. 
verse 25, it says, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. bit early in the day for that word, but fine. Okay, chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat the fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. If you touch it, you'll die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. The eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made coverings themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid, see, hide and seek, from God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God cried to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, that woman you put here with me gave me some fruit, and so it starts. That woman, the blame game enters. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, so I ate. And then it goes on, and sin enters. The first question that the enemy asks is this, did God really say? We've got to know what God says, because the problem with our world right now is it's very countercultural to what the word of God says. The standards, the things happen in our world that really God does not say is okay. A while ago, I had a meeting with someone in our church, and she told me about a decision she was making. And I said to her, biblically, how are you doing this? And she said, well, one, I thought you were my friend. And I was like, I am your friend. I'm your friend enough to tell you the truth. And she said, well, I know God wants me to be happy. And I said, actually, there's something better than happiness. God didn't send his son to die so we can be happy. We've got to be careful we don't have Disney theology. Walt Disney exists so you can be happy. God exists so you can have righteousness and have a calling and be a disciple. And we need to know what does God really say about things when we're tempted? Or what does God really say about our circumstances, about our relationships? We need to get a word from God. And if you haven't got your own word from God, then you have the word of God. And we need to understand that. And I love that this, this church has a grounding, a foundation, and incredible Bible teachers who are far more eloquent than Ben or I, and far more trained. So you have an understanding of the Bible. But you need to get a word of God for yourself. We have two boys, Asher, who's nearly 18, and Noah, who's 14. And a few years ago, uh, the same week that Ben and Russ were together in Uganda, it was like all hell broke loose at home. And uh, one of the things that happened, one of the hardest things, was Noah, who was seven years old, went to school the first day. My oldest son started high school the, the week Ben was away. My youngest son started school for the first time on his own, and he's the shy one. And he started school, went to a new classroom to a shouty teacher... And the teacher told him he'd done something wrong. And so he decided from that day he was no longer going to speak. And I'm talking he stuck to it. 
he did not speak. So we had uh, all sorts of professionals brought in at school. We had a dog brought in, see we talked to the dog, not the people. We had various helps brought in. The head teacher took him and his friend to a McDonald's, see if he'd speak. No, that didn't work either. He was silent. You just couldn't crack him. He'd come home and talk a little bit. He'd go to church and talk a little bit, but he was basically just wouldn't speak. We read stuff, we prayed, we had team praying for him. And then one day he woke up and he wasn't sick before school, which he'd start to get so anxious he was having panic attacks and being sick at school and running away and all sorts of stuff. Woke up and was okay. And I was like, this is different. Went to school, came home happy. And I was like, what have you done today? Just, oh, we did geography, we did art. Next day, the same thing happened. Three days in, same thing. And I said to him, Noah, did you talk at school today? Yep. And so I said, okay, what has happened? And he said, oh, I forgot to tell you. I had a dream the other night and Jesus spoke to me. And he said, I don't need to be scared anymore because Jesus is with me so I can speak. And suddenly something changed. He's now 14 and he brings about 20 young people to elevate our youth ministry every night. He did an assembly for the whole school the other day. And spoke. this is a kid who the doctor said will not cope at high school because he's got all these different difficulties walking through. Is thriving. Why? Because he had a word from God. And he stands on that word. We need a word from God to know what does God say. Because he'd already told Adam and Eve so many things, and yet in the midst of temptation, in a weak moment, they just faltered. And in that moment, what happened was shame entered the world. You are created without shame, without kind of hiding, just to be with Jesus completely. And when we mess up, what happens is shame comes in, and it's like a divide comes between us and God. And that's not just an, a then problem, it's a now problem as well. If we fast forward a little bit into the New Testament, we find out that this shame thing doesn't go away so quickly. Because we find out about Peter. I love Peter. Peter reminds me of some of our team, slightly unhinged, uh, but well-meaning. Um, When you meet some of our team, that's fairly accurate. Um, One day, Peter is with Jesus and the disciples, and they're having a meal. And now now they're used to Jesus saying strange things they don't understand. They've been with him for a while now. And he starts to say to Peter, hey, Peter, you're going to deny me. You're going to say before the cockle crows that you don't know who I am. And Peter is furious. He's like, don't even... I would die for you. I have walked on the water. I have overcome my issues. I will go to the ends of the earth for you, Jesus. Have you ever prayed a prayer in church and meant it? Like really meant it, not just like a kind of cross my fingers prayer, but really like I really want to be free of this thing. Peter really didn't want to be someone who Jesus was talking about and said, I won't do this, Jesus. But then let's read what happens because Jesus is arrested. It was going really well. Days before, people were lying in the streets, shouting Hosanna. It seemed to suddenly things clicked and people understood who Jesus was. And then he's arrested. Have you ever had a day where you think, how did this happen? How has this gone so wrong? It woke up like a normal day and now it's anything but normal. My whole world has fallen apart. Probably if we went around this room... We've all got those moments that have come to mind. You woke up and everything was fine, and then by the end of the day, you'd lost a parent. By the end of the day, you'd lost a baby. By the end of the day, you got a diagnosis. By the end of the day, someone had sent you an email that broke your heart. We have those moments, and Peter had this moment of they've taken him. 
what is going on? And it says this in Luke 22, Then seizing him, they led him away and took him to the house of the high priest. And then we go down to verse 20, uh, 56 of uh, Luke 22. A servant girl saw Peter sat there by the firelight. She looked closely and said, that man was with him, but he denied it. Well, when I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of them. Man, I'm not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow is with him, for he is a Gentile, a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And Peter remembered that feeling of like, oh, they've heard. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Have you ever kind of really meant a prayer? Really meant to be free of something? Really meant not to go back to that lifestyle? Really meant to stop kind of being that way, stop that relationship, stop looking at that thing on your phone that you know is not taking you to Jesus, but taking you away. Have you ever really meant it? And then you know you make a mistake and you get that feeling in the pit of your stomach of, ah, oh, did it again. That's shame. And so then what happens next is, is Jesus, it just gets worse. Jesus is taken away and he's murdered for the sake of our sin because of what we've done wrong. Jesus took all the guilt and shame and pain and mistakes and paid the price as a substitute so that I don't have to go through that. I can live free with God. He did this on a cross and died this graphic, awful death. And where is Peter, the one who walked in the water, the one who chopped off a soldier's ear when he was taken, the one who fought for Jesus, the one who would never disown him? Where is Peter? We don't know, but he's not there. Because what shame does is it makes you hide. And the question that God asked right back in the garden, where are you, is a question I think God asks often. Where are you? Where are you right now? Where, where are you, where's your faith? Ben talked about the other day. Where have you gone? I love this church, and there's so many different projects to get involved. In. It's incredible. I'm inspired being here. But all the every time I see a video, I'm like, that's amazing. That one's even better. That was it's it's so good. There's so many ways to be involved. But if we're not careful, we can be so involved that we forget actually who we're doing it for, and we can be look and have the appearance of being really busy and being there, but Jesus is not really central anymore. And I believe sometimes God asks us the question, where are you? You weren't where you were at the start of this pandemic. And to be honest, we've all lived through some stuff. So some of us have allowed things to get in, circumstances to kind of start to pull us away. And Peter was so full of shame, he hid. And some of us, what happens when we mess up is we start to withdraw and we start to hide. As fast as we see it, we start to see attendance start to drop and we start to see a disconnect and a distance. And we can see it happening. But we've got to make a choice what we do with it. Because where do you go when there's shame? If you've got your Bibles, let's turn to John. Let's turn to John and see what happened. Yeah, John 21. What happened next? Because it's all very good kind of, you know, that, that 
Peter's hiding away, but where does he go? Because the great thing is this, and you know the gospel, you know the story, that Jesus didn't stay dead. Three days later, he resurrects. He's alive. He conquers sin and death, and he's there, and he's meeting people. He appears to Mary, which is one of my favorite parts of the whole gospel story, that out of everyone that he could appear to, he appears to a woman who no one else looked at. I love that about Jesus, and you may feel completely isolated, completely not worthy, and none of us are, but I love that Jesus chose her and said her, name. But where is Peter? What does he do? Jesus is is risen from the dead. He's conquered sin and death. He's gone above and beyond what they ever thought could happen. And where is Peter? What's he doing? Is he there starting the church? Is he there preaching to the people? No. Where does he go? John 21 verse 3 says, I'm going out to fish. Brilliant. That's just what he should be doing. I mean, now is the time the church is really going to start. Now, the three years that Jesus has trained him and been teaching him, it's all for this moment. And where has Peter gone? On a boat. Now, I like boats. We went to Hull yesterday. I enjoy a boat. Didn't get to go in any boat, but we looked at a boat yesterday. It was nice. But I'm sorry. If Jesus has just resurrected and is ready to start things properly, boats are not where you're supposed to be. But boats is what Peter knew. And often what happens when shame gets in is we start to kind of mentally disqualify ourselves. Well, I can't be a small group leader anymore. Well, I can't go to church anymore. So I'll go back to what I used to know. And for some people, that's addiction. For some people, it's drinking. For some people, it's relationships that make them feel good. For some people, it's, it's other ways of self-harming. For some people, it's just I'm going to numb myself. I'm going to watch stuff constantly or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to self-soothe in other ways. I'm going to withdraw to what I knew. Peter, before Jesus, was a fisherman. He knew fish. Fish he could do, sort of. It wasn't that great, really, when you read about it, but he understood fish. His dad was probably a fisherman. He had fisherman blood. He was a fisherman. That he could control. The Jesus dying, resurrecting, couldn't understand anymore. He'd messed up, so he's going out to fish. And what do the disciples do? You know, the other ones who've been around Jesus and understood, what did they say? Did they say, Peter, you've messed up. Come on, Peter, let's go and find Jesus. No, they say, we'll go with you. I mean, come on, one of them you think would make some sense. You'd think, I mean, Judas is long gone, but there's still 11 of them left. You'd think one of them would have said, maybe we should wait around. Maybe we should go and find Jesus, see what he's doing. Maybe we should go and get him some food. I mean, he's just been dead for three days. He resurrected. The least they could have done is get him a sandwich. But they go, and they go on a boat. Where is he? They go on a boat, and all that night they caught nothing because they're not that good at fishing. But they're all together for a whole night. They're on a boat. And I just wonder what the conversations are. I wonder what they're talking about when they're on this boat. What are they talking about? Do you remember that time when we fed all those people? Like there were thousands. And then, then, then you know, I don't think they had those conversations. I think they were trying to justify how they were feeling right now. I think they're fixating on, do you remember when they took him? Man, that was hard. And then people were going to come after us. And they're starting to talk up the problem rather than the praise. We need to be people who understand, even though it's a persecution, there is still a praise to be sung and a praise to be said. We've got to look for the praise points. We start every staff meeting, no matter how bad our week has been, with praise. 
And if someone can't bring praise, they don't come to a staff meeting because there's got to be something you praise God for. If it's one person's salvation, if it's one person came to church, if it's a child making a response, whatever, we look for the praise. They should have been praising God together rather than panicking together. And we've got to be people in small groups that understand the, the power of unity of praise. But I reckon they were panicking in about the problem in that boat. But what does Jesus do? We're talking about here, there, and everywhere. They should have been in a church, but the problem is this. Many people who feel these things are not in church. They need you to go here, there, and everywhere. They need you to go to them like Jesus models here. Verse 4, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. They'd been with him for three years. How far away was the shore from the boat to not realize who he is? But how often are we the same? Jesus shows up in the midst of our circumstance, and we don't even recognize it's him. Maybe it's a text that's unexpected. Maybe it's a word, for, a Bible verse that comes to mind. Maybe it's a song that suddenly from nowhere we start to sing in our head. Well, where does that come from? Something that we heard in Sunday school when we were little suddenly comes to mind. Or we bump into someone when we're shopping. I remember a few years ago, I was in Aldi, and suddenly this lady kind of walked around the corner and looked at me, and she was like, oh! <gasps> how did you know I was here? And I was like, I'm not sent from, I'm not an angel, I just shop. And she'd like not been in church for several months and then we had this whole big story in the bread aisle of Aldi and she was like, it was Jesus that sent you. And I was like, maybe, maybe I just needed bread. But maybe sometimes Jesus puts people in positions where you need them at the, at the time that you need them most. And how does Jesus act? Because if I was Jesus right now, I'd be pretty miffed. I'd be pretty angry. Like, I have given my heart and soul to these people. I've trained them. No one else wanted them. They weren't good enough to, to qualify to be with other rabbis. But I invested in them. I took them on an incredible journey. I was with them all this time. I fed them. I looked after them. I discipled them, literally. And I gave them all this opportunity. And what do they do when Jesus needs them? They're not even there. If I was Jesus, I'd have been like, Oi! Get back from your boat and get here. We're going to have a chat. I would have used my mum voice. I have quite a good mum voice. Every now and then, uh, although I'm 41 now, I get called into youth when there's particularly naughty things happening because I have the voice of control that other 21-year-old youth leaders haven't mastered yet. And every now and then, I can shout, Oi! And this Friday, there was a stink bomb that was let off in our youth ministry. I didn't even know you could get those anymore. But, and one of the texts that I got from one of the teams was, we needed you here to shout because no one else worked. I would have used all the power of my mum voice. I mean, he's the son of man. He probably had a decent, loud voice if he needed to. And yet, what does Jesus say? He says, friends, haven't you any fish? Even though they messed up, the term that Jesus uses is friends. Isn't that incredible? That Jesus looks at you and I who've all made mistakes, all messed up and says, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. So he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. In the midst of all this stuff, in the midst of Jesus rightly feeling rejected and neglected and let down by them, rather than kind of focusing on what he needed or what he deserved, what they, Jesus does is gives them a win. He's like, okay, I'm going to give them a win here. And he also gives them an experience that they're going to remember. Because remember, right back at the beginning, when Jesus calls Peter, the first miracle that he does is this exact same thing. He gives them an experience. When they did, they were unable to haul the net because of a large number of fish. 
Then the disciple who Jesus loved, which is John, because he wrote it, so he likes to just brag a little bit, classic oldest child, I reckon, um, said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard them say it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment on, for he'd taken it off and jumped in the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing it, a net full of fish, for they were not far away from the shore, about 100 yards. Then they landed and they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. So Jesus has just resurrected from the death. He's beaten sin. He's taken the, the, the keys to hell. He has made a way for the entire of humanity that was then and then to come. And what does he do? He goes and finds the 11 men that are left that have messed up and cooks them breakfast. That is our God. So self-sacrificing that he goes and makes them food. They didn't deserve it. They didn't earn it. But that is the grace of God. They were so full of shame that they were hiding on a boat just trying to do anything that they could do to avoid the reality of what happened. And then he said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This is now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. He's already been several times and they're still not getting it. And then there's Peter. Peter, the one who, I'll never deny you. I'd go to death for you. Denied him the same day. And Jesus saw, and he knew that Jesus saw. And then when Jesus needed him most, he was nowhere to be found. If you ever walked into a meeting and you know this is not going to go well for you, maybe Ross has said, come on, we need to have a chat. And you're like, I'm not sleeping the night before that chat. That's not going to be a good chat. Or you know that you're going to go into work the next day and you've not met a deadline or something's gone wrong and you're just like, oh, I don't want to have it. I think Peter's a bit twitchy and a bit like, I don't want to have any time with him. This is not going to go well. We're going to go through all the different ways I've messed up. And the reality is people knew how you mess up. You know yourself. You're your own worst enemy. And Ben talked last uh, on Friday night about the voice that you hear. I reckon the voice in Peter's head for those last few days had been screamingly loud about all the ways he'd failed. He knew he'd betrayed him. He knew he'd let him down. He knew he'd not been the rock that Jesus said he was going to be. He knew he'd been a complete failure. And so he was waiting for Jesus to point this out to him. And look at what Jesus does. Verse 15, when they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Three times. How many times did he deny him? Three times. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. So Jesus said, feed my sheep. Amazing. Amazing story. Here's the problem. Shame makes us hide. And I think we have a world that's hiding sometimes because they feel like it's just impossible. I spoke to a woman this week in our church who's going through some stuff. Uh, and she's got some lifestyle stuff going on. And, but when I sat and listened to her story, I thought, there before the grace of God, I could have been exactly the same. I come from a family that was broken, that was godless, that had all sorts of addiction issues going on. Uh, the, there was no Christians in my family at all. There was just uh, there was a lot of witchcraft and all that sort of stuff going on, but nothing Christian apart from a great-grand who, who maybe had some sort of faith. All this stuff going on, there before the grace of God go I. 
And I said to her, what got you into church? And she said, I don't know, but for years I wanted to come, but I just knew if I walked in, flames would get me. And I thought she was joking. And she said, I don't mean like proper flames. I thought that I would burn up because God would be so angry with what he saw. We have a world who need us to go here, there, and everywhere because that's what they think. They think that Jesus is so angry with them, so let down by them, that, that God is like some angry white man on a cloud with a stick that's ready to kind of strike them down because of all the mistakes and mess. And yet the Jesus that we read about knows that shame makes us hide, but then grace goes and finds them. He's stands by the lakeside and says, hey, come on, friends. I'm here. Not only am I finding you, but I'm feeding you because he's so full of grace. He's so good and he's so worthy and he loves us even though we do not deserve it. So shame makes us hide. Grace finds us again. And then the third thing is this, that love gives us purpose. Uh, we have a staff team that um, are quite young. I, until recently, was the oldest member of our staff team. And uh, every year we go away with our team to uh, like a retreat uh, where we kind of pray together. We then uh, bring some teaching. We do some different stuff. And we have a fun day where we go somewhere. And we've done all sorts of stuff. We've done ice skating and segways and all these things. And a few years ago, the, the big activity was trampoline park. Now, here's a few things. One is um, several of our staff were pregnant, so that wasn't the best idea because you shouldn't really go on trampolines when you're pregnant. So that kind of took out most of the women. Uh, some had bad backs, so they couldn't go either. And by, one by one, we were whittling down the team. And part of me was thinking, this is getting cheaper. But the other part of me was thinking, this is going to be me and all the young boys that are on my team. By young boys, are like 28, 35, that sort of age. Um, so the, I'm like, oh, okay. So, um, but I'm quite competitive, um, very competitive. And so I will not be outdone by these youth team who think that they can bounce harder than me. And so we have a trampoline in our garden, so I did a little bit of practice. And I was ready to take them down. Uh, no youth leader is beating me at trampolining. Uh, the problem is this. It's a lot harder without a toddler. Because usually when I've been to trampoline parks, I've been with a niece or nephew or my kids, and you're kind of more fixated on them bouncing than you bouncing. Also, I've had two children, so trampolining is interesting. Uh, you can make that. Some people understand that. Some people not. That's fine. Um, so we're at this trampoline park with all these kind of 30-something boys, and they're like doing all these things. Some of them are flipping and everything, and I'm like, oh, no, I am out of my depth here. I should have pretended I was pregnant and not been sad here. So we're like bouncing around, and then I'm like, I can't do any of this stuff. But then I watch this guy do this quite impressive like run and jump into a foam pit. I think we've got a picture of something similar that you see these things so you run and then you jump head first and I'm like I can do that looks pretty easy like that I think I can do um so I'm like watch me watch me uh, which is a mistake um when you've not practiced something so I like run fairly fast and bounce a few times and then jump head first and like dive into this foam pit and then there's a problem what you don't see on the picture is how sticky foam pits are. And I started to sink quite dramatically, head first. And these thoughts, when you're in a situation like that, come quite quickly. Firstly, I'm going to die. Can you suffocate in a foam pit? And I'm like, oh my God, this is, there's no dignity left here. There's no way out of it. The more I tried to get myself stable and put my arms down, the deeper down I went. And I thought, they all think this is part of it, but this isn't part of it. And you can't hear someone scream when you're in a foam pit. Ben was nowhere to be found because he was in the bad back crew, so he wasn't there either. And I'm like, I don't, what is going to happen? I'm just, I'm stuck here. And I started to genuinely, I'm quite dramatic, but genuinely started to think, what if this is it? That now I just, 
foam pit pastor? What about my kids? Like the, the dignity. What if I die here? What if I never get out of the foam pit? What if this is the end? What a way to go. What will they say about me? She just jumped into a foam pit. That is not a way I want my story to end. I've got so much more to live. And then eventually I could hear laughing above me as several other blokes jumped into the pump. There are pictures of this that exist, but they've been banished or threatened to fire them if they ever raise their heads. Where they jumped in and kind of got down lower and lifted me in um, like a forklift truck type thing as they were wetting themselves and lifted me out. And I stood on the kind of the, the one hard bit at the side. And I was like, thank you, Jesus. We will never speak of this again. And I walked to the side and got a slushy because that's what you get <laughs> at foam pits. Here's the problem. Shame is like that. You run and jump into a mistake and then you have these irrational thoughts. You start to think, I'm never going to recover from this. This mistake that I've got right now is it. I am now disqualified from ever being used from God. I'm so sunk into it that what we start to do is we start to press against it and we go further in. Peter had decided in that moment when he said no to Jesus, no, I don't know who he is, that is the end of his discipleship. He's now a fisherman again. Anything Jesus said to him beforehand, the words he spoke about, Peter, you're the rock. Peter, you are the one who's going to set my church up. You are the one. That one moment, that one momentary mistake, the enemy would let you think and believe the lie that says you are defined by that moment. You're stuck. Band, if you want to come to the stage. And shame does that. It makes you feel stuck. It makes you feel there is no way out. I am now the person who's defined by this moment. I messed up. I drank that drink. I was with that person. And because I messed up, this is who I am now. God can never use me. I am unusable. Shame makes us hide. Grace seeks us out. And what love does is it gives us purpose. What Jesus did is he talked to Peter. Was he started to say, come on, there's more. Come on, you're going to feed my sheep. There's a purpose in this. There's a purpose for you. And do you know that when God looks at you, he doesn't just see the mistakes. He sees your purpose and your calling. There is greatness inside each and every one of us. But what shame does is it's like with Adam and Eve, though, they put clothes on to protect themselves and hide themselves from God. We start to build layers. I can't be used because I did this. I didn't trust God properly. I didn't give. I, I, I burnt out. I tried it before and I failed. And so it's like shame upon shame upon shame, layer on layer. And what we're doing is we're hiding ourselves from God because it makes us hide. And Jesus comes and says to us, hey, where are you? He knew. Jesus is the best at hide and seek because he knows everything. And yet he still said, where are you? Because he was asking them to identify themselves. I'm not where I should be right now. And maybe as you sat here listening to this, you know deep down I'm not where I should be right now. This season has done crazy things to Christians. Some crazy things to people who aren't Christians as well, but I have been surprised, shocked, heartbroken at some of the decisions I've seen make people make where they've forgotten what God said. That God said something so clearly and articulately and obviously to them, and yet when the pressure came, they went. Because when the going got tough, they went. 
They didn't dig in. They went. And then what happens when you've made a mistake and you've gone and you've given up is it feels so hard. It feels like a long walk to get back. And yet I love the picture of this, that Jesus didn't kind of wait for them to sign a temple thinking, well, any minute now they're going to come back. What Jesus did is he went to them, found out where they were, thought they're going to be fishing. That's what they'll do. He found them, cooked them some food, was kind to them, gave them a win and said, come on, now, back on your feet. He sets our feet on solid ground. When I got out of that foam pit, it was ridiculous how excited I was to be on firm, on firm ground. But actually, that's exactly what Jesus does for us again and again. We get ourselves stuck in these situations and we think, oh, it's hopeless, it's hopeless, I'm stuck, I'm stuck, I'm stuck. And then Jesus is like, no, no, because of Jesus, because of my son, I can reach you out and put you on solid ground. And then you go again. You are not saved to live a kind of an existence. A kind of, well, at least I'm not going to hell anymore. You're saved to go and find others and tell people about what Jesus has done. What the enemy will do is he'll keep you silent because you don't want to make a mistake, a bit like Noah was. But he has given you a purpose. He's given you a story. He's given you people in your world and your workplaces and in your families. Maybe you think, I'm just a mom and I've messed up. I'm not good enough. But I want you to know moms and dads in here, God sees and he's given you those children for a reason. There has been times where I've thought, I don't know how to parent a child that's got additional needs. I don't know how to keep doing it. How am I supposed to pastor and do all this? And am I making a mistake? I don't know. I don't understand things. But God again and again has said, I chose him for this family for a reason. He has chosen you for a reason. It's not because you've made a mistake. And I felt like as I was praying this morning, maybe one or two mums especially thought, I'm in this situation because of a mistake I made. But God is not a judgmental, nasty, angry God. He's a God who goes after his people, sends his own child so that we can have freedom and a relationship together. And shame makes you believe some nonsense. It makes you believe the lie that says, I'm not good enough. I've messed up. It's too far. It's my fault. But his word speaks a better word. His blood speaks a better word. He says that you are chosen. You are forgiven. You are set free. You are called and anointed and set apart for good works. You are not useless. You are treasure and you are precious. And he has a calling on you. And whose are you? You're Jesus's. So the enemy has no right to say those things to you. He is not your Lord. He is your Lord and he says that you are called and set apart and he loves you not just corporately but he loves you as an individual and some of you have been under a lie that says that you're not worthy and that you're worthless but I'm here to tell you from Richmond in North Yorkshire that he delights in you and he has a plan and it is not over Peter thought that's it but after this story he's like a new man when you read Acts, he's there prophesying. He's there taking on, on authorities. He's doing incredible things. Why? Because he had a second wind. And you may be thinking, I don't need a second wind. I need a 54th wind. It's okay. They'll keep going. You keep going. You keep coming back. And so what we're going to do is we're going to worship again. And I'm going to ask you to do something incredibly brave, which is to come out to here to be prayed for. Now, here's the thing. Shame makes you hide. And so this is exactly what you don't want to do. Because you think, I don't want to move. I want to stay hidden. I don't want him to look at me. But there comes a, um, sometimes there's a physical action that's, that's connected with faith. We see it again and again in the Bible. We go on about that for ages, but Joshua walking around the walls. There's so many things where there's a biblical principle of action with faith. Take a step. 
And what we're doing with that step is it's not for anyone else to be bothered by what you're doing. If one person comes, that's fine. If a hundred people come, that's fine. But it's about Jesus saying, I'm taking this seriously. And when we make a step, we remember it more. This is day zero for some of us. We start again. For Peter, Jesus is like, okay, let's go again. Start again. Day zero. Now feed my sheep. Get over it. Get out of the pit and start going again. Because there's business to be done. And this town needs a church that is not consumed with what they're going through, but it's consumed with what they're going through. And if the enemy can distract us to think about what we're facing, then we're not taking our eyes onto what they're facing. This place needs an army that says we're ready to go again. So let's stand. We're going to pray together. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that it was for freedom that Jesus set us free. For freedom. And God, we pray right now for anyone who is not living in the freedom for which you created. God, we pray for a boldness to overcome. God, we don't overcome because of our own works Thank you, Jesus, because none of us are good enough, but we overcome because of what you've done, because of your blood that was shed for us. God, we bind any thoughts that are not your thoughts right now, Jesus. Any thoughts that say, I've done it before, it's not worked. God, any cynicism, God, in the name of Jesus, we break right now. And we say, God, let there be a new song in this place in people's hearts and minds that say that I am free because you love me, Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you're going to seek and save the lost. And right now, for anyone who's feeling lost, like they've walked away and they've made so many mistakes, God, we pray right now for day zero to start again. We reset the clock. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from New Life in North Lincolnshire. To find out more, do visit us online at newlifechurch.uk. Or why not pay us a visit? We'd love to see you.